Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're starting a new series today called Heroes of the Faith. We're going to take the next several weeks and look at men and women from the Bible and how their stories can encourage and motivate our faith today. As you can imagine, the Bible is full of men and women with incredible stories, so each week we're going to cover two biblical characters. And just to spice it up a little bit more, we'll have a different speaker for each person. Today, Pastor Nicole is starting us off with a look at Rahab, a woman we find in the Old Testament, and then Pastor Andrew Rupp, our Erie First Worship Pastor, will share on the Apostle John. We think you're going to enjoy this series. So let's get started with Heroes of the Faith. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, I'm really excited um, to start a new summer series all about heroes of faith um, who we find in the scripture. So for the entire month of July, we're going to look at profiles of men and women in the scripture um, who made an impact. Uh, Men and women who we can learn from and model our own spiritual lives after. Um, So every week in July, you will hear from not one, but two of your favorite pastors. That's exciting. And uh, we each are going to take a person from the scripture and teach about him or her. Uh, So each of our sermons will be a little bit shortened. And so today I will start, uh, then we will have communion, and then Pastor Andrew is going to share a hero of faith. Uh, I was going to say his hero of faith, but let's be real, I assigned it to him. So um, (laughs) the one he he taught on. Um, So the first woman in the Bible that we're going to look at in this series is a woman named Rahab. Now, oh, so Rahab got a woo from someone, so that's, that's good. Now, the Bible uh, described her as very beautiful, a very wealthy woman. She owned her own house, a large home on the wall of the city, which was prime real estate. And she ran a business of manufacturing and dyeing linen cloth. She was influential and had access to the king of the city. Rahab was a very public success. But privately, Rahab was falling apart inside. She was a public success, but a private failure. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Uh, The Canaanites were idolaters who worshiped many gods. And she was part of a high-class fertility cult that conducted lewd, immoral acts uh, with so-called sacred prostitutes. And so really, she was broken. She felt worthless. She truly lived a double life. And and I was thinking, this really can happen to any of us. Often we try to make sure the outside world uh, thinks we're doing well, we're successful, we have it all together, our social media feed has all the very, very good moments of our lives. But at night, we cry ourselves to sleep. We try to show everyone how strong we are by not sharing any of our struggles with other people, But inside, we're just really hoping someone finds out so we can talk to someone about it. You know, I heard an interview with a very wealthy person once who said this, I was walking in $4,000 shoes, but going nowhere. I was sleeping in a $20,000 bed, but not getting any rest. And I was driving in a luxury car, all while imagining driving it off a bridge. You know, our lives are not always what others see, And as I was reading and studying Rahab, I I wondered if some of you in this room can maybe relate to that feeling that your outside life just isn't telling the whole story. And this is what is happening with Rahab. Now, meanwhile, the Israelites um, are still trying to reach the promised land. 
Joshua is now their leader. Moses had died. And so Joshua sends two spies to go ahead of the people and check out the land to see if it's safe, to see if it has food, to see if it's good land for the people who try to settle in it. And I want to read to you from Joshua 2, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, it's interesting because throughout the history of Christianity, um, it has embarrassed some Bible interpreters that these two spies went to the house of a prostitute. In fact, um, some have tried to soften the story a little bit and say, well, Rahab was an innkeeper, you know, that kind of innkeeper. But the language is very clear in the scripture. She was a harlot. So why? Why did they go to the harlot's house? Uh, I want you to know that in all the studies that have been done, there is no innuendo that the spies had any immoral motive. They weren't trying to um, get some of her services. Uh, Though it was an awkward place, if you think about it, it was a perfect place to hide out and remain anonymous because it would not be unusual for strange men to be coming in and out of Rahab's house. And so no one at first might have thought anything was wrong with it. The city was on strict guard. They did not want the king to find out. Uh, However, despite their efforts, the king of Jericho did get wind of the spies, and he sends a message to Rahab, because remember, they're they're acquaintances at least. They know each other because she is a wealthy businesswoman in the community. And he sends a message to her and says, listen, bring me those men who entered your house. Now, we don't know what Rahab was thinking in this moment, but we do know that she must have had some sense that these spies were carrying out an important mission because she could have turned them in. But instead, she hides them on her roof uh, in a place that she knows if the king's men come, they won't search there. And so she bold-faced lies to the king's men and says, listen, I don't know where they went. They ran that way. Just completely not giving them any information. And so the spies in that moment are safe, at least for the moment, hiding in the roof of where Rahab lives. So I want to read to you uh, Joshua 2, 8 through 11. When Rahab, she's having an encounter with the spies. I think this shows us a little bit more of her heart, what's happening in it. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So in this moment, Rahab is having almost an outburst of faith. In fact, I wonder if as Rahab is talking, even is she surprising herself in what she's saying? She's maybe even saying, you know, the Lord your God is, is, is the God in heaven and on earth. I'm realizing this. I'm standing in the presence of the God who has sent you, and I'm realizing this. And she's acknowledging that this is no accident that the spies are now in her house. And she's remembering what she has heard 
about the power of God. And she's remembering what she's heard about his faithfulness. And it's as if God himself has shown up through these men supernaturally. And Rahab says, oh, the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. And I believe it. I'm believing it. Even right now as you stand in my house, I'm believing it. And Rahab realizes that her lifestyle, the, the very thing that she is trying to, uh, to fill herself with is leaving her empty. And she recognizes that God has the ability to do what nothing and no one else can do. Money can't fulfill her. Men can't make her feel valuable. Being important won't make her life be better. It has to be God. And what I love about this moment is Rahab's declaration of faith really comes from an encounter with God. She was a prostitute and a liar and a sinner. But God came to her house. Do you see that? God sent the spies to her house, to the house of the person that needed to have an encounter with him. God did that. And she was not saved by her works. She had done almost nothing good. She was saved by her faith. She knew who God was, she knew who she was, and she trusted God for her very life. And so Rahab makes a choice in that moment to give her heart and her life to God. And she tells the men, listen, I'm gonna help you get out of here, but when you come back, when you come to destroy these people, because I know that you're gonna, because I've watched you do it to all these places around this country, around these places we've heard of you, don't forget I helped you. She says, swear to me, you won't forget me, you won't forget my family. They said, all right, here's the deal. We want you to hang a scarlet colored rope in your window. Now remember, she lived on the wall of Jerusalem. So hang this scarlet-covered rope on your window as a signal to our armies that the household should be spared from attack. And you will surely be saved if you leave this symbol, the scarlet cord, in your window. Rahab said, okay. So she let the men down by that same rope out of her window. And her house was in the city wall, so they had to scale down the tall wall to escape. And she left the cord in the window. The scripture says in Joshua 2, 21, so she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, now this is how big and intentional God is. This scarlet cord was a symbol. It was a foreshadowing. It was something that hadn't happened yet, but God had promised would happen, and God always keeps his promise. This scarlet cord represented what? The blood of Jesus. Tell the person next to you, it's the blood of Jesus. I knew that. I just didn't want to say it out loud. Blood of Jesus. When the shed blood of Jesus is applied to your life, catch this, hung in the window over your household, there is atonement for sin. There is safety. There is victory. Atonement means that we are reunited with God after being separated from him because of our sin and rebellion. Atonement ushers in forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says it this way. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The blood of Jesus spilled on the cross redeems and cleanses and 
purifies us. The blood of Jesus creates a new awareness and understanding of what is right and what is wrong. It changes our priorities, our perspectives, and our pursuits. And this is what Rahab, it's happening to her. She is saying, wow, I have met my creator. I've had an encounter with God. And even though Jesus would not be on the earth for several thousands of years after that, that that God foreshadowed this moment that the blood of Jesus is what creates a new awareness of understanding of what is right and is wrong. And it changes our priorities and our perspectives and our pursuits. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And so by hanging that scarlet cord in the window, it was a sign in the natural of what was happening in the supernatural. The blood of Jesus that wasn't even shed yet was covering Rahab because she had confessed her faith and made God Lord of her life. Here's what God would teach us through Rahab, a hero of faith. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. God showed up at the door of the prostitute's house through two spies. She was lost in her sin, hurting, broken, living a double life, but God pursued her. God delivered her. God saved her, and not through anything she would have done, but through her faith, through her outburst of faith. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling, I am too unworthy. I, I'm too uh, unworthy to be a Christian. I'm too unworthy to go to heaven. I have wonderful news for you. Only unworthy people go to heaven. The arm of God is not too short to save you. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And there is no sin so terrible that Jesus cannot forgive it. There is no strain on your soul that Jesus cannot wash away. I just urge you today to make sure you talk to someone. Uh, at your, my prayer table is to the right, to the left after service. There's a team every single week. They want to pray with you. They want to help you give your life to Jesus. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. After this experience that Rahab had with these spies, her life changed forever. The army did come and pillage Jericho. If you remember, the Israelites marched around the city walls seven times, remember that? And they crumbled. That was the wall that Rahab's house was in, okay? So she she came, she would have been crumbled as those walls came crashing down, but instead, because the cord was in her window, she was saved. She was spared, as promised. She left the the fertility cult. She she actually married Salmon, one of the spies. Is that a Hallmark movie or what? Like, oh, you broke into my house. I'm a prostitute. Now I'm not. You know, nuts get married. Like that. They should write one about that. And then she had a son. That son's name was Boaz. Boaz was a wealthy, prominent man in the tribe of Judah. Boaz married Ruth. They had a son named Obed. Obed's son was Jesse. His son was King David. Rahab was the great, great, great grandmother of King David, which means her descendant was Jesus Christ. Rahab is part of the family tree of Jesus. She started as a harlot and ended in the lineage of Jesus, the savior of the world. I don't know what your life is like every other day of the week. 
In fact, for most of you, I only know your outside life. I only know the things you tell me and the things you email me and the things that we see each other here. I don't know your sin. I don't know how long you've been at it. But I do know this. God can get a hold of your life, any ordinary life. And he can do something with it that you never will dream. God can work in your today, despite your yesterday, and the blood of Jesus can cover you, save you, redeem you, and do something in your life that you never thought possible. That's the message of Rahab. God's able to take a mess and turn it into a miracle. He did it with Rahab. He did it for me, and he can do it for you. Nothing but the 
God. We just worship you today. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Um, I get the privilege of talking to you about Apostle John, okay? Um, but I have a question first. Um, there will be an image up there in just a moment. Um, who in this room has heard this phrase? Hey, I need your John Hancock. Can you sign this real quick? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, a whole bunch of everybody, right? Last week, Nicole asked me that, okay? I had to sign something, and that's what, exactly what she said, right? But here's my question. Why John Hancock? 56 people signed the Declaration of Independence, okay? 56 of them. Why don't people say, hey, Quint, I need your Thomas Jefferson real quick so I can sign this paper? Or, hey, I need your Ben Franklin. Why don't they say that? I would say because his signature is just that tough. He's the tough guy. He signed, his, he signed it, and everybody else was like, oh, man, my signature is just terrible. That's amazing, right? That would be my guess. And signatures are an interesting thing, right? Signatures identify us. We can sign a contract with a signature, and years later, someone can say, well, you signed it, right? Probably six or seven years ago, when I went through my bank drive through they didn't ask me for my ID, and I know for sure I didn't know the, the teller that was at the window. And I asked them, because I'm that guy, right? I'm, the, I'm, the, the, I'm just that guy. And I said, hey, you didn't ask me for my ID, and you gave me 50 bucks. What's going on? And he said, well, now we have your signature on file, so we just compare signatures, and you're on your way. And I was like, wow, check that out. So the point is, is we have a signature that identifies us, okay? And more importantly, we have a life signature. The life signature is simply this. Oh, there it is. A life signature is the way our lifestyle, our actions, our choices speak to the world around us. It's the mark you leave behind. Years after you're gone, people are like, man, you remember that person? They was so amazing. Oh man, I just love them right? It's the, it's the impact you make. That's our life signature, okay? It's the way you love people or don't, right? It's the way that we complete our tasks at work. It's the way we treat people in general. It's the way we treat our kids. It's the way we treat our spouse. It's the way you treat that guy at Starbucks that made your coffee so bad you teared up a little bit. Anybody besides me, right? You, you get the coffee, you drive to work, you, you walk in the door sipping your coffee like, yeah, I'm about to get, and you're like, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord, right? Because the coffee just didn't turn out right, and then you call back Starbucks, and you're like, you, thumb, 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 thumb. no, that's not the mark of Jesus that we want to leave with people, right? And I'm sure we're all guilty of it, you know, no condemnation, but the most important signature that we leave behind is, is truly the way we love Jesus, because if I love Jesus, then I'm going to love you. Because it says in, in 1 John that how can you say, oh, I know God. He's, he's, he's my God. I Jesus is my God. But how can you say that if you don't love your neighbor who you see? You can't see Jesus, but you can see your neighbor, right? So that is the most important deposit. And if we don't know Jesus, if we're not spending time with him, that mark that we're going to leave on people is probably going to look a whole lot more like me than it is like Jesus. Okay? Now, again, I get to get, I have the privilege of 
telling you about Apostle John, but I want to look at the first, the four Gospels, okay? They all write the Gospel kind of in a different style, right? Matthew starts with the genealogies of Jesus. As Pastor Nicole said a few minutes ago, she was going through some genealogies. Goes through his roots, right? And then it goes on into the origins of Jesus, who, you know, who his mom and dad was, and then it goes into his ministry. Matthew's a history buff. And if you've seen The Chosen, he's very meticulous, right? He's a tax collector. He's counting people's money all day long, right? So he has to be meticulous, okay? Mark. Now, Mark, I call the efficient gospel writer because he gets in with the scripture about the messenger who was sent ahead of Jesus, and then he's going into his miracles. He, he just goes through it really fast, right? He's a history buff also. But Luke, Luke is the most of the history buffs, right? He is just very meticulous with the details, and I feel like he's, he's the history buff as well as Matthew. But John, how does John start the gospel? Does he start with the history lesson? No. He starts with revelation. You know what? I can't get a revelation unless I'm spending time. That's how revelation works, okay? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John 4, in him was life, and the light, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John is not the history buff. He is the relational guy. He spent time with Jesus. Now, I want you to remember here. Let's, take a, let's actually do a history lesson real quick. John writes these gospel, his gospel and his other books, years after Jesus rose from the grave. A lot of years, okay? So it's not like he's seeing Jesus face to face every day. That was years ago but he's still meeting with Jesus every day. It's just a different way, and that's the way we can meet with Jesus, okay? And I wanna point this out. It is history, but it's intimate. It's personal, time-spent revelation. That's the kind of revelation I wanna get with Jesus. That's the kind of, I wanna hear his voice for me today. I don't wanna wait for the preacher to tell me, although we, you know, Pastor Nicole does awesome, but I wanna hear him for me because he's my God as well as he is Pastor Nicole's God, right? He had an intimate relationship with Jesus. John hung out with God every day. He had daily encounters with him. John, now I wanna point this out also. John uses this phrase five different times in his book. He says, so, you know, such and such happened to the disciple whom Jesus loved. Blah, blah, blah happened to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said it five different times. He, even when Jesus was here, he was like, oh, I'm just, this, he loves me so much. I just feel so blessed and loved. But then years later when he's writing it, he's recounting this and he's, he's referring to himself in that way because his time spent with Jesus after he was gone, I would declare is richer because now he has the Holy Spirit to commune with. And he's having this time with Jesus, these encounters. And he says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. So we're going to do this real quick. We're just going to take a quick second and do an activation. I want you to put your name in there. I'm going to say Andrew. 
And we're going to say, Andrew, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Can we all do that? You put your name in there. I'll put mine in there. Here we go. Andrew, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Come on, let's say it again. Andrew, the disciple whom Jesus loves. One more time. Andrew, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Now, we could say that. We could say a whole bunch of Christ identity statements, and we could leave feeling really good and confident and bold. But you know what? Tomorrow's coming. And tomorrow has a whole bunch of challenges of its own. What we need is a daily encounter with him. And that's what John realized. That is the signature that John had in his life. He spent time with God and got to know him. Now, we, I want you to put your finger, point point at yourself real quick and say, I can have encounters with Jesus. Look at this promise in John 8, 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. He who belongs to God hears what God says. I can hear him. You can hear him. Kids can hear him. My, I cannot tell you how many times my son will be out shopping and, and, the Lord, and the Lord will speak to my son, my 10-year-old, and he'll say something to me and I'll be like, wow, that was Jesus. Because we can all hear him. We belong to him. We can hear what he says. And here's another one. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I would have assumed that would have been something more profound. Oh, eternal life. I got to do this, and I got to do that. I got to make this perfect. And uh, No. Know God. K-N-O-W. Let's know him. That is eternal life. That is life to the full, is knowing Jesus, okay? And this is the revelation that John lived in. We can have a real, tangible relationship with God. These words that he penned, Jesus spoke to him and he lived out. You know, John went to heaven as a human on earth and came back. Did you guys know that? He wrote the book of Revelation from going into heaven and coming back in the spirit. We can have daily encounters with Jesus. These promises from scripture are for all of us, okay? And Jesus wants that for us. He wants that tangible relationship where we feel his presence, we hear his voice. That's his goal for our lives. You know, we can't turn the world upside down if we're going to turn it upside down because, oh man, I didn't like how they did that, so I'm going to change it. I didn't like this. No, we want to turn it upside down for Jesus. We're his ambassadors. Let's leave a, a mark on the world of love and glory. Hallelujah. Now, I want to point something out. You guys know when, when Lucy comes up or Ruth or Stephanie and they come up and they prophesy, right? And they, they say, oh, God spoke to me. And then it's always this like encouraging word or something, you know, they, they hear God in the service because they spend time with him regularly, right? And maybe I'm saying something that a lot of you know, but I feel like we need to go deeper. We need to go into the secret place so that the people around us can't stay the same, so that we can't stay the same. If I go into the secret place every day, I'm not gonna stay the same. I'm gonna be full of his presence everywhere I go. I'm gonna be full of his love, his joy. Come on, we have to go deeper. 
And this is what John did, y'all. This is what John did. Yes, I'm from Maryland. I say y'all, okay? Now, I'm going to do a quick demonstration real quick. Uh, yes, son, but let's wait until we're done here, okay? That was on purpose. I knew his voice without even looking, but it was just for effect that I looked over there. But I knew. I could, he, here, here's the thing, right? If we were in a restaurant and he was way on the other side of the restaurant and I didn't even know he was there and he said, hey, dad, my ears would perk up because I have an intimate relationship with my son. I talk to him every day. He tells me his life. I tell him my life. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to know his voice so that if, you know what, if the worship team gets up and we hit and we start in two different keys at the same time, Maybe you don't know what that means. It's, it's a train wreck. Let me just let you know, right? And the worship is like, right? If that happens, you can still hear his voice because if you spend time with him daily, his voice is super familiar to you. And you know what? I'm gonna tell this story. It's not in my notes, but this, this really hits home for me. At my last church, there was this wonderful lady who she had mental issues. And she, I think she was like in her 60s, but she had the mind of an eight-year-old. And she was the sweetest person I probably have ever met, besides my wife, where's she at? Um, but for real, she was so sweet. And every Sunday, I cannot tell you how many times she spoke from God's heart to me. And she made it a point every Sunday to come up to me, come up to my wife, and she would just say, you know, Andy, I just love you. And you know what? you're really precious. And she would just say these things to me. And I was like, man, and, and I'll be honest, I'm just going to be vulnerable here for a second. There was a couple of times where I was a little irritated because she would like run up and like give me this big bear hug. And I was just like, oh my gosh. But the Lord corrected me and he said, listen to what she's saying because that's me. And you know what? If we're sensitive enough, it won't take the Lord's correction. We'll just see it. We'll just recognize it. We need to spend time with God. Now, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, don't wait. Because tomorrow's not promised. And if you're in this room and you're like, well, I've been saved for so, so, such and such amount of years, and I don't know if I've ever heard God speak to you, let's pray. Because I guarantee if you spend time with him, his word says, he who belongs to God hears what God says. That is his will for our lives. He wants to speak to you. He is speaking now all the time. He is an oracle by himself. He's God. And he wants us to know him personally, intimately. I don't want to wait for the preacher. I don't want to wait for the YouTube song. I want to hear him. I want to feel his presence. So if that's you, I want you to, I want you to come up. Let's pray. I'm sure we have some prayer people that can come up and, and pray if, if anyone comes, but I want us to know Jesus. Jesus wants us to know him. Hallelujah. I want to read one last scripture. It's Ephesians 1:17. And this is a scripture I pray over myself. I declare this over myself. And it says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better.
I'm gonna make that personal. I keep asking the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, God, give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better. Every day, better. Every day, better. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that no one would leave this room without knowing you, Jesus. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so we can know you, so that we can leave a signature behind that says God was here. Not Andrew was here, but Jesus was here. Hallelujah, God. We just give you glory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app. And please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.